Where's Jess? There you are. We, uh, you know, just chose matching outfits today, so... Uh... Yeah. So, uh, I, I've known Jess for a while through, obviously, if you don't know, a uh, daughter of, uh, one of three daughters of Rod and Lindley Talbot, and sister to Amy Talbot and Rachel Burton, knee Talbot. Um, but, uh, yeah, so over the years, you know, kind of visits and different things, but uh, it's just so cool. Like, it's just, it's a joy for me to have your family together in one place, not just in the same city, uh, but in the same community. Uh, we, are, we are blessed. I'm just going to put my wedding ring back on. It feels awkward. I do that for the djembe, so I don't, you don't split the skin on it, but then my hands always swell up from whacking it that I can't get it back on for a bit. But uh, anyway, um, but uh, just, yeah, just to honour you guys, uh, Rod and Lindley, for, for, for raising three amazing daughters, and... Uh, We've loved, um, even just, uh, we're just, I just love that you're here. I'm so happy that you're here. We're so blessed by you, by your life, uh, and what the Lord is doing in you, but just who you are, and uh, we just really value you and honor you, and, uh, and we release you, and we give you a voice here in this place. Uh, as I've said before, you know, guest speakers coming in, it's kind of like give and take, but when we, when we release someone to share in our community, because we say, no, no, we, we really trust this person, and you can trust them uh, to receive what they're bringing, so... Um, yeah, we just say we trust you and we, we love what God's doing in your life and what you have to release and I uh, just want to pray for you. That's okay? Awesome. Thank you, Father God. We just thank you for this precious gift, for this precious woman, Lord. Thank you, Father. And Lord, we just pray a blessing on her, Lord. I just thank you, Father, for breakthrough pouring out of her this morning, Lord. Ooh, thank you, Lord. There's just an anointing for breakthrough, Father. I just thank you for ears popping open, Lord. I just see ears popping open, Lord. In the natural, but in the spirit as well, Father, ears popping open, Lord, to hear your word, Father. We thank you for the, the uniqueness of how Jess views the world, how she sees you in the world, Father, and how you interact with your creation, Lord, your beautiful creation, Father. And we just thank you for this beautiful creation, Lord, that you are blessing us with as a community and that you'll bless us today as you release your word for us through her. Thank you, Father. Amen. Morning, everyone. I'm barefoot today because I'm talking about land. I did actually bring jandals, flip flops. <laughs> um, okay. Thank you, Lord. Let your joy come through this message. Okay, I would like to invite you into a dialogue. And um, this dialogue is one that is between God and us. And it comes through the land <clears throat> that we live in. Um, we are used to hearing God in many ways. We get taught in many ways about the way that he speaks to us. And we know that we can read his word, he speaks to us through his word. Um, our conscience speaks to us through that. He speaks to us through inner voice um, or prompting when we feel mm, something just feels off. <laughs> this doesn't feel right. That's, he speaks to us through that. Um, some people have heard God audibly. Um, we do see that in the Bible as well, where sometimes he will speak to people audibly. Some people hear God through dreams at night. You'll have a dream. He speaks to you. He directs you through that dream if you remember it when you wake up. <laughs> and um, write it down. There's ways that we can try and get truth from that dream. Other people um, hear God through visions during the daytime. Um, in prayer room, there's people that speak up with a vision that they feel the Lord's given them. 
Um, we share that with one another, we pray through it, and we see what he does with that. Some people hear God through little images or impressions in their mind, which is often how if I'm in prayer ministry um, and someone's praying for me and I'm listening to how the Lord speaks to me, I'll often there'll be this random little image in my mind that if I travel down that route, the Lord blesses me through something he's trying to show me in that way. Um, sometimes it's just a thought that we have that's not normal for us to think, um, but it's an encouragement or it's like a bullet going straight into the situation that we're in. Um, sometimes it's a song that we either hear or um, the other night I woke up in the, about two in the morning and as I was going back to sleep, I was like, oh, there's a line of a song that's just going, just going like this in my head. Uh, what is that song? And I realized that I hadn't listened to that song for about two months, and the, the line that was going around was um, an encouragement to me in the season that I'm in. So sometimes he speaks through song. Um, and then he speaks through other people, so through prophecy, um, people just encouraging us and speaking words of encouragement into us. The way people use their body language with us can be an encouragement. And then also other people's testimonies and stories can be something that empowers us. But there's another dialogue as well. <laughs> and our Western world does not celebrate this dialogue. As much as the tribal people In this room at the moment, there are radio waves pouring through the air in this room, but we cannot see them, and we're not listening to them. But it doesn't mean that they're not there. They're there. If you've got a receiver and you turn the dial up, you can hear what people are talking about from America, from Sweden. You can listen to music that's coming out of Finland if you turn the dial up on a receiver. But the, the waves are here. They're going through this room. And that is what nature is like. It's there. It's right there outside that glass wall. And if we have the dial down, we don't hear the dialogue that God is doing with us. If we can learn to turn that dial up, there's so much dialogue that's available. There's so much encouragement and truth and fun that comes through that dialogue. So I just want to share a little bit about that today. Yeah. Okay, Proverbs 25, um, verse 2 and 3. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. There's two things in this passage which I really love, and I'm going to focus on the second one first, which is the, um, the second part of this verse. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. Um, our bodies are physical and they take up a small amount of cubic meterage when you look at the size of this universe. But when you go into the body, into the heart, it is huge. It's like Narnia. <laughs> you open up a door here and you step into a nation. We carry nation in here. The land of our heart is huge. Okay. 
the heavens for height, the earth for depth, the hearts of minds of kings are unsearchable. There's so much space inside our heart. And there's a land there, and each of us has a land inside our, our heart that God has formed and given to us. And it's for us to explore. Who am I? What makes me happy? What do I get excited about? Why do I find technology so interesting? Why do I find technology so boring? Why do numbers make me excited? Whatever. There's a land in there, and there's clues in how we see life and how we, re re we relate to things that teach us how God has created us. So the second part of the verse speaks about that, but it's not what I'm focusing on today. But I do want to talk about how land out there should be interacting with our land in here, as well as the Word of God helps to form and shape and, and to unveil, unveil this land, and people's encouragement help to give understanding to this land, but also the land out there should be relating with the land in here. So, the first part, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. And that means you and me. We are the kings, okay? The Lord gave us this earth, and Christ gave it back to us after we gave it away. We are co-heirs with him. We are kings. Who's played hide and seek? Okay, think of this situation. You're a kid. <clears throat> You're gonna play hide and seek with your dad. 10, 9, 8, okay, ready or not, here I come. And then your dad says, I'm in the lounge. I'm in the lounge, come and find me. I'm standing in the middle of the lounge. <laughs> Is that fun? No. <laughs> that's right. He just told her where he is, and that's not fun for her. What's fun is that she gets to search for him. Um, he wants to be found, and she wants to find him. But if he's just standing in the middle of the lounge saying, here I am, that's a little bit boring. And I think that the Lord is like this. It is his glory to conceal things, and it is our glory to seek them out. Um, that whole play that happens between a child and a parent when they're playing hide-and-seek, that whole play builds excitement. There's anticipation. The child knows that they'll find the parent, so it feels safe. Um, and there's joy. And then there's also, they're building a bond. It's, it's building a bond. If you don't play with your family members, especially when you're young, like that's a huge way to build bonds. So I see nature as God concealing himself and for us to find him through nature. And there's an exciting adventure in that. Um, there's a lot of fun involved because he's very weird. He is very weird. You grow children inside, inside yourself. <laughs> that is very weird that you grow the next generation behind your navel. Trees don't do that. Trees grow them hanging off their branches. Imagine if that's how we grew babies. <laughs> Just walking around with babies off our... Oh, yeah, okay, I see you've got five growing there off your limbs. Imagine if trees grew the next generation and they just vomited them out of their, out of their trunk and then a new tree came out and then there was a new tree. Creation is very weird. It's fun. If we look at it like the evolutionists and they say that it's all... Oh, it's just happened. It's by mistake. There was no purpose to it. 
So we just get used to it. Oh, yeah, there's no wonder in that. It's just the kind of thing that just happened to fall into place. But when you're like, hang on, hang, hang on. God designed this. It's on purpose. A tree is made like that on purpose. A human is made like that on purpose. That means he could have created it different, and he chose not to. The one yes that he said, and I'm going to create a tree like this, meant that he was saying a million no's on other ways he could have made that tree. It's so purposeful. And um, everything in creation is like that. Everything has something that is a glory, and it's there, and it's a glory to him. And he's concealed a lot of it, and it's our joy to search it out and look it up. Good? Good. Okay, Romans 1, verse 19 and 20, um, Paul talks about this. He says, The truth of God is known instinctively, for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. Opposition to truth cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance, because from the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been made visible. That's in the world around us such as his eternal power and transcendence. We can see that in the world around us if we look. He has made this, his wonderful attributes easily perceived, for seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. Seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible. So then, this leaves everyone without excuse. In other words, if we really look into nature, into science, into the world around us, we will see a lot of who God is. And that's really cool. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. Okay, so I find when I look at nature that there's two things that will come to me. There is wonder and there's dialogue. And we'll talk through these today. Sometimes all I'm getting, all I'm getting is just, wow, God, you're amazing. That's my response of wonder that's coming out of what I find out in nature. Sometimes there's a dialogue, and that's where it's like God and I are, he's like showing me something, and he's using nature as a metaphor, and it speaks into my life. Sometimes they overlap. Um, But these are the main two ways that I can think of at the moment that are really engaged with God, with nature. So we'll talk about wonder first. And this is going to blow your gaskets. So I hope you've got your seatbelts on. <laughs> first of all, I'll um, be, be very good to you and um, read to you a passage from the Bible. Okay, the last four chapters of Job, God pretty much doesn't stop speaking to Job about, um, excuse me, have you seen what I've created? It just goes on and on and on about the things he's created. I'm going to read you a couple of these things. Job 39 from verse 13, he says, this is God speaking to Job, okay? Of all the things God could choose to talk about, he chooses this The wings of the ostrich flap happily, but they're not like the feathers of a stork. There we see his purpose. He's saying, I I know I made them different, and I like that they're different. Um, The ostrich lays its eggs on the ground, lets them warm in the sand. It does not stop to think that a foot might step on them and crush them. It does not care that some animal might walk on them. The ostrich is cruel to its young, and if they were not, as if they were not even its own. It does not care that its work is for nothing, because God did not give the ostrich wisdom. God did not give it a share of good sense. God's okay with that, did you know? Because then he says, but when the ostrich gets up to run, it is so fast that it laughs at the horse and rider. And it's like God's going, yeah. I made that thing, and look what it can do. He's really trying to show off to Job. So he is quite comfortable with the ostrich being stupid. (laughs) 
But you sure better notice how fast it is because he loves how fast the ostrich is. Marty, I find it funny that you spoke of ostriches and emus this morning and how fast they run in our prayer time. (laughs) Put that on my shelf. Okay, Job chapter 40. He talks about a creature called a behemoth, which when you read about it actually sounds like a brontosaurus or something like that. So he's talking about this dinosaur-type creature. Look at behemoth, which I made just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox. Look at the strength it has in its body. The muscles of its stomach are powerful. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Its tail is like a cedar tree. The muscles of its thighs are woven together. Its bones are like tubes of bronze. Its legs are like bars of iron. God is literally flexing at Job. He's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Look what's out there, you little human you. Look what I've made. Um, So I'm going to let God flex a little bit more by sharing with you a couple of things that more modern day science has helped us. Science is awesome. Technology is amazing. Do you know that God created the universe and 4,000 years ago, people did not have a clue about the intricacies of the universe the same way that we can look into things now, like to understand the stars or what fish are two kilometers beneath us in the ocean. Like, people didn't have access to that knowledge. But those fish were still there. Those stars are still there. God didn't mind that we didn't have understanding. But now, with increase in technology, we can learn more, and we can learn more. And it's fun to unravel and find out what he's put out there. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings to search out a matter. So speaking of matter, everything in the universe is made from matter. At first we thought that the tiniest parts of matter were cells. Oh, isn't that lovely? The human body is made of cells. They're so tiny we can't see them unless we use a microscope. But then we found out, oh, hang on, they're actually not the smallest thing. They're made of stuff, and those stuff are made of atoms. This is an atom. Oh, no, hang on. Atoms are not the smallest thing. Atoms are made of protons, electrons, and neutrons. Those are the smallest things. Oh, no, hang on a minute. Uh, Protons and neutrons, they're actually made of quarks. (laughs) So we think electrons... Um, We think electrons are the smallest part of an electron. We don't think we can get smaller than an electron. But protons and neutrons are made of quarks. There's your little picture of a quark. It's got two U's and a D. That's because it takes two up quarks and one down quark to make either a proton or a neutron. And then two down quarks and one up quark makes the other type. Did you know that? First of all, someone decided to call these things quarks. Because <laughs> God gave us the glory of naming the things in nature. And then they got really technical and called them up quarks and down quarks. Here you go, mate. All right, so elements are made from atoms. We thought atoms were the smallest. Um, how many atoms, one layer thick? of carbon make a full stop. 75 trillion. That is a full stop. There's 75 trillion atoms of carbon. And each of those carbon atoms are actually made of six neutrons, six protons, and six electrons. And each of those protons and neutrons are made of three quarks. Right? So that How can we even fathom what the heck? And all of that is moving, actually. Did you know that? All of that's moving. Those quarks are moving. The proton and and neutrons are kind of like 
and those electrons, and yet it makes something like a rock, which doesn't move. <laughs> Just saying, it's quite cool. Okay, gold. A gold, one gold atom is made of 79 electrons, 79 protons, and 118 neutrons. Electrons, protons, and neutrons, actually, they don't change what they look like. But when they clump together in their sets, they create gold, or they create carbon, or they create hydrogen. So scientists are like, whoa, if we add more to the carbon, we'll get gold. Let's do that. Well, they can't. It sounds simple. Just, just add more protons and neutrons and electrons. They're all the same. Just add them, and we'll be making gold. They can't do it. That's cool. Um, OK, I want to talk to you about quarks. They tried to separate quarks. What, what happens if you separate quarks? Can you see on that previous picture how there's like the up, two up quarks and a down quark make a proton or a neutron or whatever it is? Um, what happens if you separate quarks? What happens to that? If we have single quarks, we can create the whole universe. Well, they can't because the energy taken to separate a quark from another quark, apparently, in my very unscientific mind, but this is just reading Wikipedia, <laughs> The energy taken from separating a quark from another quark creates a new quark to add to it so that it's not alone anymore. So you, you cannot have a quark by itself because when you pull it apart, they both build a new one. It that energy creates two quarks and two quarks. This is cool because I feel like there's dialogue in this with God. Apart from the fact that there's a lot of threes happening in this creation thing, which trilogy, it makes, that, I find that interesting. But um, these are the names of quarks. There's six types of quarks. Only two of them exist on Earth, and the others they make in laboratories. I don't understand how it works. But anyway, there's six types. These are their names. Up, down, top, bottom, strange, charm. Uh, do you remember that song? The love of Jesus is so wonderful. Remember that song? The love of Jesus is so wonderful. And then the second part goes, it's so high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wise, you can't get around it. Oh, wonderful love. Um, to me, the fact that that quark cannot be separated, like the bond is too strong for us to separate. Reminds me of Romans chapter 8, where Paul says, who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. So now I live in the confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. That's what you can learn from quarks. <laughs> the bond of his love is so great. This is the fun. This is the hide-and-seek. Okay? This is turning the dial up looking, up, looking for the dialogue inside what's created. Okay, what about mighty things? This is Scorpius. Scorpius is a constellation I've 
drawn a big yellow mark all over it on the top left. It's in the winter sky, so as we go into the next number of months, you'll see it. It covers quite a big distance in our sky, and it's the most obvious of the constellations because it's this big curve and pincers. That's named after a scorpion. But let me tell you what is inside that area of sky that we call Scorpius. <clears throat> on the right-hand side, on the pink photo, um, near the top of the white part, you'll see the word Graphius. So this is a star that is in the claws of Scorpius. Graphius is what we call it, but it is actually a binary star. Most of the stars out there are not individual. Most of them are in relationship. So you get binary star systems, which are two stars that are orbiting each other. But the orbit is so close that from our distance, it just looks like one. So Graphius is a binary star system. But then actually, both of those stars are in another, they're in the smaller binary star system. So there's two of them going like this. And then that whole system is orbiting each other. And then actually, each of those minor systems have got orbits inside them of more. There's about eight different stars that are doing different orbits with each other. And then as a whole, and we say, oh, that's, that's Graphius. That's great. But it's like intense, incredible stuff that's happening out in the solar system. Um, below Graphius is one, another one that is called uh, Deshuba, which is not written up there, but it's, um, it's the head of the scorpion, so where it comes out and meets on the right-hand side there. Um, Deshuba is, also looks like one star to us, but it's actually a multi-star system, so there's at least three stars that are revolving around each other. Far above the head, if you see where Graphius is written, above there you'll see an X further up, nearly at the top of the white part. This star is called Scorpius X1. That's very inventive. It's named X because it gives out an X-ray that is the most violent and strong X-ray that our Earth receives outside of the sun. It's 9,000 light years away. It gives us more X-ray than anything that we've created on our planet, and it's 9,000 light years away. Most of the stars that are in our system are 200 to 400 light years away. So this is like way beyond. And it's made of a binary star system where these two stars are orbiting, and one star is called a donor star, so it's donating to the other star, which is just sucking the life out of it and creating this X-ray force pulsing through the entire solar system. That's Scorpius X1. Okay. Um, back into Scorpius, we can see the biggest star in the middle is Antares. It's, a, it's the heart of the scorpion. Um, Antares is a thousand times larger than our sun. It's also a binary star system. Then right next to it, just to the right, you'll see M4. M4. Um, anything that's an M in the star system is a globular cluster of stars. It's a so our universe has a lot of solar has a lot of solar systems, and our Milky Way operates like a big, almost like a big whirlwind of stars. They just orbit each other like this. A globular cluster is a bunch of stars that don't do that. They operate by themselves, but they kind of come in and out and do their own thing. But they're like hundreds of stars that are so close together and they just kind of move through and out and takes them like 160 million years to do that. But that's what they are. So M4 is a globular cluster. You can't see it and you use a telescope. And then it looks like a fuzzy cloud about the size of the moon. What else? If you go down Scorpius body and you come up to the tail flick, you see two stars called Shawla and Lesath. They overlap on there, but up there they don't. To us, they look like 
two dots right next to each other. They call them the cat's eyes. Um, and both of them are multi-star systems and binary systems. And then to the right of them, and the word Lasath is overlaid on top of it, there's this thing called the butterfly nebula. And that's the photo on the bottom left of that screen. It's the butterfly nebula. Can't see it unless you use an awesome telescope. But if you look through it, that is, it looks a little bit like that. So what it is, is a huge amount of hot dust being shot out from an extremely hot star. And each of those wings is so large that it takes two light years to travel the entire wing length. So if you don't understand how fast light years are, we can go to kilometers per hour. We can do 100 kilometers an hour, right? And my little gets can do 100 kilometers an hour. So if I was to travel the distance of one wing with my little gets at 100 kilometers an hour, it would take me 42 million years. And we can't see that without a telescope. So this is what I mean by wonder. Like, the more you find out about stuff like that, it's just like, what the heck? There's so much treasure out there to find and to glory in. And, you, and it also works on your heart, because it's telling you, hey, God's got that under control. He's got your life under control. Everything's going to be all right. If you can handle that, you can handle this. All right? You good with that? Okay. The second thing we can get through nature is dialogue. So I'm going to give you an example of dialogue. The other day, um, I went to grab some wooden planks that I'd placed in a pile at the end of a building down there at sometime last year. Um, and I had set out these planks so that they were lifted off the ground so they didn't get moisture. And I went to pick them up, but it took me a while to get back to them. And I picked up the top one, checked it over, perfect. Put it in my car. Second one, third one, great. Fourth one, shook it off, turned it over, stop. What? Termites? Ugh. But it shocked me deeper than just here. It sh I could feel like it was leaning into a dialogue if I listened. Um, and I went through the rest of the wood, and every single one of them looked great on top. Turn it over, a little bit of termite trail happening. Um, I felt like God was commenting on how good the wood looked on the side that was exposed, but how compromised it was in the part that was hidden. It was like a check in my spirit. I don't want to be compromised, and I don't want parts of my life to be weakened or to lose their strength. I don't want part of my strength to be eroded from me. So is all of me staying in the light? That was the prompt. That was the dialogue that was coming through. Is all of me staying in the light? Or have I got stuff that I've not allowed to have light? And there's termites in the wood. What am I struggling with? Who can I share that with? Because it needs to come into the light. And that's, um, that's what I got from that nature metaphor. So if we turn the dial up, there's conversation that can happen in the things that we see each day that are out there. Okay, splendid fairy wrens. These are beautiful birds. We see them around here. They're around at the moment, but it's not their breeding season, so they're mostly brown. If you look in um, Christian dream books, you see that blue is a color that represents kingdom. This is where you can start to see God dialoguing through symbolism in nature. Um, kingdom's a positive thing, right? Well, I think so. Um, if you learn about color in birds, however, you learn that blue is not actually a color in bird feathers. 
Bird feathers can hold pigments of colour, yellow and red fall into this category, and these pigments the bird gets through what it eats, through the berries it eats or the caterpillars it eats or whatever. It, it, as it eats that food, its body knows what to do with it and it puts pigments into the feathers of a bird to give it that vibrant colour of yellow and red and so on, which is, wow, that's wonder. Um, but blue, it can't do that. Even if it ate blueberries or blue candy floss, it cannot do that. Um, so the bird works for those other colours, but blue is different. Blue is all about the way that the protein molecules in the feather are arranged. And what happens is we know that we've seen rainbows. Rainbows are all the light around us is carrying all those colours inside it. And as soon as it hits something, like our bodies or a bird or whatever, our bodies will absorb a lot of that light and reflect other parts. So my top looks green to you, but it's actually not green. That's the colour that's rejected. So light has come onto me, into my top, into the molecules in my top, and what's reflected out is green. But what's inside the top are all the other colours of the rainbow. There's a lesson in that, but I'm not going into that one yet. Um, so with, with blue on a bird, it's the way the molecules are created in blue feathers is it collects all of light and then it holds it, but it but it reflects the blue. So we look at those birds and, oh, what a blue colour, it's so beautiful. It's just the reflection of blue light. That's what it is. So the yellows and reds are actually in the feather, but blue is not. And what I got from this, if you're talking about dialogue, is that the bird does not actually work to be blue. Blue is given to it just as we cannot work to be in the kingdom, but grace is given to us, and we just need to accept that. So there's parts of the kingdom that we work out our salvation, but there's other parts that it's just accepted by grace. There's dialogue in nature. Turn your dial up. <laughs> okay, cockroaches. <laughs> um, these are gross, yeah? They're gross. In your house, they're gross. But in the ground outside, they're amazing. Uh, they're one of our main decomposers, along with termites. Dead trees and leaves do not just decompose by themselves. Something has to help them. The more you learn about nature, the more you realize this relationship all the way through nature, and it can't do things by itself. It needs other things alongside it to help it function. And there's a message in that. Okay, so what a cockroach does is it comes along and it's, oh, that's a yummy dead leaf. Um, yum, 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 yum. Eats through the leaf. Its body knows how to decompose that. It poops it out. That poop can then go into the ground. A dead leaf by itself holds, holds all that nutrients that the soil needs and it's too complex for it to decompose. But a creature like a cockroach can go and just eat it, digest it, poop it out. And then it can go into the earth and, what, and then life can return to the soil. So I see cockroaches like prayer ministers. When things look dead in us, there is still a way for life to come through from it. But often that life comes easier when we're aided by other people who can help us break down what is in us into stuff that can then regrow to give us life. And this is support people. These are our friends. These are our life hub people. These are our prayer ministers. These are our family. Um, they are your cockroaches. Is that God's funny? God's funny. Um, nothing in nature works in isolation. 
right? Everything is an ecosystem. That's the same for us and our land. We should not be in isolation. Okay, next one. Um, someone sent me a photo, and they were like, what is this green cricket? I was like, oh, I know that that is a Katie did, and I know that because of because I've seen some in Africa. Katie did, K-A-T-Y-D-I-D. That's the name of that. Yes, <laughs> it's not a cricket. It's not a grasshopper. It's a Katie did. So they said, oh, I just saw this in my carport, and. I just feel like it's significant, but I have no idea what this green cricket is and what, what to do with it. So I looked up on Wikipedia about katydids, and what I was looking for is what makes it different to a grasshopper or something like that. And it's, Wikipedia spoke about how it has really long antenna. You can see them coming out its head, really long antenna. And I was like, what do they do? So I looked that up. Um, antenna are described as a sensory organ. So then I tried to think of how does that, what is that a metaphor to our spiritual, um, what is sensory organs spiritually? And came up with discernment as our sensory organ. So I said to this person, I said that to this person, and they said, oh, yes, there were some discernment things that they were feeling the Lord prod themselves on, but they hadn't really lent into it. And maybe it was a encouragement to them that they do need to trust that and go with it. So it's a very little weird creature. And if our dial is down, we just walk past it or step on it or we don't see it. Now, I don't mean your dial has to be up all the time. If you have the radio on all the time, there's something wrong. Um, but the dial needs to be available all the time. And if you have it up, you'll pick up on things that sort of jump out at you, not like jumping out at you. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, okay, so... As a warning, this kind of metaphor is um, like the, the dialogue that the Lord can have us with nature. You can't go off and have that as your only dialogue with God. Um, your, your, your primal truth comes from the Bible. This is something that is a part of our bonding with the Lord, but it's not our primal truth. If you get from a Katie did that you need to murder your great uncle's stepdaughter or something like that, like what I'm trying to say is sometimes we can interpret things and we can be a bit off with it. So use it as a fun dialogue like hide and seek with the Lord where he is bonding with you and building into you, but you've got to keep filtering it through the word. All right? And not only through the word, but in your community in our community, in, in a biblical community, or with people that understand the heart of God. Because you can know the word, but you can also think that God is a big man with a stick in the sky walloping you, and then you can interpret things through that angle. So it's more about um, knowing what the word says and then sharing that within your community of people that are comfortable with God as Father and His nature and His love towards you. And it helps to build that bond with Him and with you. Um, God really values land. He values it more than us. Um, Calvin, I'm going to flick down to the bottom, but keep this slide up for now. Um, I'll read you this passage in Genesis chapter 4. This is when Abel murdered his brother Cain. And then God says to Cain, Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood. 
And we can see this as poetic language, but I don't think God was seeing it as poetic language. The ground held something. There was an injustice. There was an injustice that happened on it, and it held it. And now, Western thinking, we don't give ground that kind of value. It can't, it's just a thing that we just, we build our houses on top of it. That's not what land is. It's, it's something that we live in. It's not something that we just live on and put up with. When the Israelites were sent into captivity in Babylon for 70 years, that 70 years came from the number of days that they did not adhere to Sabbath on themselves and on the land. They were told to Sabbath every seven days. The seventh day was supposed to be a rest on their body, on their mind, on their responsibilities to a certain extent. The land was also called into a Sabbath. Every seventh year, they were not allowed to sow seed into that field. It had to lie fallow for the entire year. Then in the eighth year, that cycle continued. And the Lord valued that land, and he said it needs a Sabbath as well. And when the Israelites ignored that, it had an effect on themselves and their own Sabbath, but on the land and its Sabbath. Um, creation is not our equal. I just want to make that clear. Uh, I think that there are a lot of um, people groups in the world that really know how to honor the land. But there's also an, an honor that puts the land above us or equal to us. The Lord made all of this universe for us, and he did make us out of the dust but then he made us in his image. And so we are not equal to land, but we have been given a huge responsibility. When he said to us, have dominion over the land, he uses that word dominion as the way that he is with us. And that is with a lot of love. And we're supposed to have that love for our land. This might sound silly, and I probably will cry. There's a beautiful parrot here. Australia's got a lot of parrots. If you've only lived in Australia, you'll think, oh, boring, there's another parrot. If you're a visitor to Australia, it's just like, you would have experienced that when people came last year, Rochelle and Barry and them when they came. It's just like these parrots on your property. They're amazing that we have here on the Paradox Land. There's a parrot here, and the way that we honor it as a nation is we call it by a name of um, a rifle that we use to cull it. You may find that silly that I get upset about a 28. But when God asked Adam to name the creatures and to have dominion over land, I don't think that we were called to name them with names that are dishonor. Because it teaches us to dishonor and we don't see them. We just see them as pests or we just see them as background noise. The Aboriginal people call them doans. I think I saw it on a signboard when I went down to Wendy and Jean's camp down east of Bunbury. And they were, um, they were hanging around there and there was a signboard and they named them. D-O-W-A-N, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's something inside me just went, oh, they've got a name that's more respectful. 
So I think as Westerners, we um, it's quite a mind shift for us to get our heads out of ignoring the land or seeing it as a commodity or a place that we just build upon or and we put up with what's around it and to start looking, thank you, start looking at it with wonder. Um, I did a ranger course in South Africa a couple of years ago and it, I've always been interested in the bush but I never had the knowledge. And when I did the ranger course, it increased knowledge in me. Moving to Australia, I had no knowledge of Australian creatures. Um, a, a year and a half ago, just about now. Um, but at least I had some kind of ground that I could build upon. But it opened my wonder to Australia when I can see what's here and I start looking it up in books or on the internet or in some random nerd group on Facebook that knows the answer to everything. <laughs> <laughs> but it builds wonder and that builds the bond. You bond with God on his land. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, how do we hear? How do we hear? Calvin. <laughs> Thank you. When I feel like God is dialoguing with me through nature, I usually do some or all of the following five things. So feel free to um, jot these down or take a photo or whatever. Um, because this is, this is me trying to show you how to turn the dial up. Okay. The first thing is, what is already being highlighted to me? What is my spirit picking up? When I turned that piece of wood over and I saw termites underneath, I felt something here. It was very soft. It wasn't like I nearly I fell over backwards or anything. It was very soft and I could have ignored it, but it was enough for me to respond and to lean in and to think, okay, because I, actually, if you, if you look up termites, they're incredible creatures. But in that situation, there was something wrong. The termite was doing something wrong to the wood in this dialogue that the Lord was showing me. So what is he highlighting to you through what you see? Um, a friend of mine saw a moth running along on the ground. And it had such tiny, tiny, tiny wings it couldn't fly. It was like, had. Did, what happened? Did it come out of its cocoon too early? I don't know. But the thing that was highlighted to her was this shouldn't, this is a bit, this isn't normal and something's wrong here. What is that? So listen to what's being highlighted to you. The second thing is what can you learn about it? So we have Google. You can find out most things on Google. You can download books. You can join Facebook groups that I just take a photo of something and I go onto this insect and spiders nerd group on Facebook. And I put it up and I say, hi, can anyone help me ID this insect? It was found in Rockingham, Western Australia. And within... 15 minutes, normally someone's like, oh, it's a blip, 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 blip. And it's only in the scientific terminology. So then I'm like, well, that's not helpful. So you copy, go to Google, paste. Then Google says, oh, it's this type of termite. Yeah, oh, what does it do? And you can start looking it up. But it helps you to identify what it is, and then you can start to look up more about it. So what is already being highlighted to me what can I learn? This is part of the searching out a matter. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's our glory to search it out. Number three, 
What makes it different to other things? Because it's been made purposefully. So something about it can speak to you. The Katie did had long antenna that can speak to you. What makes it different from other things? If it wasn't, if it wasn't on the earth, what would suffer? It's possibly a good way of thinking about it as well. If there were no cockroaches on the earth, what would suffer? Okay, fourth, what symbolism is there? So we talked about that with the fairy wren. The blue is uh, so obvious. So what does blue symbolize? What can it symbolize? Um, I remember in prayer room once, we had a whole flock of silver eyes that came down outside the, the glass and then flew off. Silver eyes are a type of really small bird, but it was the name silver eyes that was the symbolism. And we looked up, what does silver refer to in the Bible? What about eyes, eyesight? And it was just clarified exactly what we were praying through. It was like a, just a layer on top of what we were praying through. So the colors, the names of something, whatever, what symbolism is there? Um, and then lastly, always filter what you come up with. Filter it with scripture, filter it against God's nature, and share it with people. You will, um, I find, I always find wonder or dialogue happening in nature. Wonder itself is very powerful. If I look at Scorpius and I don't have any dialogue from the Lord from it, but I'm just in awe of him, it builds, like my praise to him comes out of that. Um, Worship builds a bond with the Lord. So wonder is very powerful. But sometimes there's these metaphor life lessons as well, which are powerful too. So that is my challenge to us as a community is that we lean in to listen. What the Lord made the land and he made it purposefully. The creatures that are there, the way that it works, that tuit tree that's outside there, they only exist in the world between Geraldton and Bustleton. In the entire world. There's a couple of clumps of them in France because someone came and took some and took them back to Europe. So there's little pockets of them elsewhere, but it's because they found them here and they like them. These trees only exist here. That's special. A lot of the birds that we have around in this region, they only exist here. So um, to turn the dial up and start to learn about what's around us, there's a whole, it's a whole new dimension, someone said to me recent. It's like you go outside and suddenly there's a whole new dimension and you never realized it was there the whole time, but it's there. Yeah. Is that good? Thank you, thank you, thank you. So good. Yeah. Might just pray. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Yeah, Father, there's so many things in life that we just don't think about. We just accept them as, as being normal, but even the fact that you created a planet for us to live on, Lord, and the way that you birthed us and all of the abilities and attributes that make us who we are, Lord. We could have just been floating around in space or the air, but you've, you've put us here, Lord, and, and you do really care for your land, Father. And I feel it's been something even that you've been teaching us as a community in the last few years and the healing of the land as the land cries out and, and, uh, and is impacted by what we do and what we don't do, Father. So that we pray any wisdom that we can draw out of that into how we can love uh, your creation well, Father, 
And we know that you are the God of creation. Creation is not God. <laughs> uh, that you are separate in some sense from that, Lord, but you are also deeply connected and, and you desire us to be too, Father. And we just pray a continued blessing over this land, that you're healing this land, you're restoring this land, that in this area that we have dominion. Uh, Father, we want to steward well all that you're giving us, Lord. And Father, as, as just shared, we just, we just pray for more wonder and more dialogue in our lives, Lord, that you speak to us through your creation, Lord, and we, wanna, we don't want to miss your voice. We want to hear you speak, and we're just so thankful, Lord, for the creative ways that you communicate with us. But Lord, we want to hear, we want to see, we want to understand, and we want to have that opportunity to respond. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.